0: In Christ's name, God's people together said, amen. So listen, before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples together, and kind of in this moment of teaching, he's explaining that he's going to have to be killed, which probably would come as a shock to the disciples. They're like, well, that doesn't sound like fun at all. And Jesus is going, you're telling me. So he tells them, after I die, listen close, after I die, I'm going to meet you at a mountain. What? After I die, I'm going to meet you at a mountain. And sure enough, after he dies, he's in the tomb for three days. He's risen to new life in his glorified body. And before he ascends to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, in that gap between death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, somewhere in there, yes, indeed, Jesus keeps his promise, and he meets his disciples at a mountain. Listen close now. This is the Lord of the universe, risen and exalted in his glorified body. He wants to meet with his disciples and have a powwow and tell them something. Do you think they should pay attention? Do you think they should be listening? Do you think their ears are bent to what Jesus, who was just dead, by the way, not, not just just dead, but promised before he died to meet them at a mountain, and then they go to the mountain, and guess what? He's there. I would listen, wouldn't you? Let's see what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 28. Open your Bible, if you would. If you don't have a Bible, that's OK. Scripture's up here on the screen. We also have a, a Bible in the pew pu- or the seat back in front of you. You can grab one of those Bibles out of there and follow along with us. I'm reading from the English standard version. Jesus meets his disciples at a mountain, the mountain that he promised to meet them on after he died, after he has risen, and before he's ascended to the right hand of the Father will be in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is the very end of the book of Matthew. Matthew's the first book of the Old Testament, and it's basically a biography of the life of Christ. So this is how Matthew concludes his gospel by telling us what Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven where he is right now in this moment. Here's what he says. Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Stop there. We don't know what mountain this is. It might be the Mount of Transfiguration. It might be the mountain where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. But we know it's a mountain in Galilee. It's not that important what mountain it is. It's just important that Jesus promised to meet them there and he shows up. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, This is the commission of Christ. It is called the great commission. The commandment of Jesus before he ascends into heaven is this. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Everybody say that with me. Go Make disciples. You don't have to do like that high-pitched voice thing that I do. Go make disciples. One more time. Go make disciples. This is why Jesus came back from the dead. To tell them this. Go make disciples. He says, I've conquered hell. I've conquered death. I've conquered the grave. I hold the keys to all of those things. I'm about to ascend to the right hand of the Father and sit in power and glory. But I've got to make a pit stop before then. And what I want to say to you is go make disciples. I I, I don't need to make that pit stop. I could rush and get to power and get to glory and get to authority, but before I do that, I have just got to give you this. Go. Make disciples. Question number one, from my perspective of the Scriptures, what's a disciple? What's a disciple? I mean, because it's like this church word that we use. I remember like, growing up in, uh, in high school at, at church, we had these things called discipleship groups. Called them D groups are you in a discipleship group? Do you have someone discipling you? Are you discipling anyone? Are you disciple discipleship or is discipling? What is that? I don't even know what that is. This is what a disciple is it's a follower, a pupil, a learner, an apprentice. I watched some of the folks who who put together this uh, sanctuary for us and who did some of the electrical work and some of the contracting and things. They brought apprentices along with them, and they would do the work, and the apprentice would just do this. Okay. All right. I got it. Okay. That's a disciple. It's it's when when we come before the Word of God, and we watch Jesus, and we go like this. Yeah. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. I can do that. And then we go duplicate it. Remember, Jesus doesn't say, go make decisions for Christ, go have people ask me into their heart, totally weird, by the way, and not biblical, P.S. He says, go make followers, go make disciples, go make pupils, go make learners, go tell people to follow me, to imitate me, to copy me. To live how I live, to love what I love, to hate what I hate, to get angry when I got angry, to rejoice when I rejoice, to weep when I weep, go tell them to follow me. Number two. So if that's what a disciple is, a follower, a pupil, a learner, then what is disciple making? Disciple making is making more followers, making more pupils, making more learners, Disciple-making is making disciples. That ain't my seminary degree work in there, by the way. Disciple-making is making disciples. It's it's not that complicated. Disciple-making is multiplication. It says, you are a follower, now go make more. This is the call of Christ. Living a moral life is awesome. Please keep doing that. Knowing a lot of the Bible is awesome. Please keep doing that. But all of those things fall underneath this greater umbrella of duplicating, multiplying, making more disciples, followers, learners, pupils. There are eight aspects to disciple making that I want us to wrap our minds around this morning. We're gonna zip through them pretty quick because we're short on time, so just stick with me here. Eight aspects of disciple making that Jesus reveals to us in this great commission. We'll begin in verse 16. Look at verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now that might not seem significant to you when Jesus calls them to make more disciples. Okay, we have a meeting spot. It's a mountain. Great. Got it. But look back at verse 16 and circle that word Galilee. Galilee. Here's your, here's your quick lesson in, in first century geography, especially in that particular area of the world. Galilee was a region in the north. Judea was a region in the south. Jerusalem set in Judea, the city of David, the capital city of Judaism, set in Uh, Judea in that region in the south, And, and, and Galilee was in the north, and Samaria separated the two. The northern province of Galilee was decisively distinct in history, politics, language, racial makeup, culture. It was different than Judea in the south. Judea contained Jerusalem, Galilee was different than Judea. It was so different, in fact, that Matthew in chapter four calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. So if you were an impeccably Jewish individual, impeccably Jewish, and you were from Galilee and you showed up in Jerusalem, they would immediately identify you as a foreigner. You're not from here. Be like a cowboy from Texas walking around downtown Toronto. Nice hat, eh? Thank you, sir. You're not from here, are you? That's what you would have felt like, even if you were a God-fearer, even if you were a Jew, that's what you would have felt like if you were from Galilee. Judea was understood as more Jewish, more religious, more God-honoring than Galilee in the north. Now, this might seem like really lame historical background information, like this is kind of boring, but it's absolutely critical for interpreting the Gospels correctly, Because Matthew's gospel is structured around this conflict between the religious elite in Judea in the south and the not-so-religious, the ethnic diversity in the north. The gospel actually culminates in the confrontation of a Galilean prophet from the north. Jesus was his name. The confrontation between that individual and the religious elite in the south, the religious establishment in Jerusalem. So listen close. When Jesus gives this great commission, when he gives this call to multiplication, this call to discipleship, if you were the rightful heir to David's throne, Jesus was. If you were the king of the Jews, Jesus was. Where would you choose to launch your kingdom from? Jerusalem, Judea, in the south. But Jesus says, hey, y'all meet me in Galilee. That was where he was from, by the way. Born in Bethlehem, but he was called Jesus of Nazareth, from Galilee. He says, meet me there. Jesus wants to launch his kingdom with this thought in mind. That the gospel expands beyond the boundaries of Judaism. In other words, the gospel is the most multi ethnic, the most unifying, the most barrier destroying power of all time. This location that Jesus chooses for the Great Commission is not on accident. It's not because the weather was better in Galilee that time of year. It's because he wants to tell his disciples, it's not about this little pocket. It's not about this closed group. It's about expanding beyond our borders, making more followers to the ends of the, say it with me, earth. Earth. Number one, if you're taking notes, disciple-making is inclusive. Inclusive. Now listen, I want to be real clear here, because we've, people have like hijacked this word inclusive, and it's like, oh, we just tolerate and all that stuff. No way. There's one name and one name alone by which men are saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ, Son of God. But the gospel does this. The gospel opens wide its arms to people from any background, any ethnicity, and says, Jesus loves you, Jesus cares for you, Jesus died for you, and there is a seat in the family of God for you. Paul in Romans 1 says, "The gospel. Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for whom? All who believe. It's the power of God for all who believe. Revelation says, Every tongue, every tribe, every nation will come and sing the song of the Lamb. The scripture tells us that the the people of God are supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. The, The gospel is inclusive. Disciple making is inclusive of all people. All people are called to repent and believe. All people are loved by God. That's why this cross is like super important to us. First and foremost, because it's the instrument on which our Savior, our Lord, was crucified and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins but when there's 11 different woods up there from 11 different regions of the world it represents to us this multi-ethnic inclusive gospel that Jesus preached opening his arms wide and saying uh uh-uh, uh not just Jerusalem not just Judea and Samaria but Galilee to the ends of the earth what else does Jesus tell us about disciple making look at verse 17 verse 17 it just it the, the word of god says and when they saw him they worshiped him and when they saw him they worshiped him so so get this uh, get this chronology worship precedes disciple making worship is a critical part of disciple making Worship is the beginning of disciple-making. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Worship is the beginning of multiplication. We'll say it this way. Disciple-making is worship-fueled. Disciple-making is worship-fueled. Worship is the gas that goes into the tank of multiplication, of making more followers, making more pupils, making more learners, making more disciples of Jesus. Worship is the gas that goes into that tank. It's the fuel for missions. It's the fuel for outreach. It's the fuel for evangelism, lifting Jesus up and worshiping him for who he is. Now, let me tell you where this becomes critically important. Do you understand that sometimes we see worship and discipleship as different? We create a little bit of a false binary. We split those things up and we say we do worship and we do discipleship. We do worship and we do missions. We do worship and we do evangelism. Worship happens in here. Discipleship happens out there. Worship happens in here. Missions happens out there. But Jesus blows that up here when he says that worship is the fuel for evangelism. It's the fuel for discipleship. Uh, Missions is, in essence, an act of worship. Worship fuels missions. Missions gathers more worshipers. Worship is declaring God's great worth to him and to one another. Evangelism is declaring God's great worth to those who don't yet know him. Disciple-making is worship-fueled. We want to be a disciple-making church. We come before Jesus and worship him, lift him up above our idols, above our preferences, above ourselves. That's the beginning of disciple-making. Disciple-making is worship-fueled. What else does Jesus tell us about disciple-making? I love this one. Look at the end of verse 17. It says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some... That's a little tough, isn't it? (laughs) This is the risen Jesus. This is the risen Jesus. And there are people that are going, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That word doubt in the original language is very interesting because it it doesn't necessarily mean unbelief. They're not looking at Jesus and going, no. Uh Uh-uh. What it really means in the original language is is there's a hesitation there. There's a a reticence. There's there's a reluctance there. Any of you ever feel that way? Like, I believe Jesus, but I'm reticent. I believe Jesus, but I'm reluctant. I believe him, and, and I trust him, and I know him, but, but, but I'm, a, I'm a little, mm, I'm, I'm hesitating a little bit. I'm holding a little something back, especially when it comes to disciple-making, especially when it comes to evangelism, especially when it comes to sharing our faith. We say things like, uh, I, can't disi- I can't make disciples. I'm scared. Or what if they ask me a question that I don't know? And so we hesitate. I don't know the answer to that question. How many angels can fit on the head of a pin? I don't, I don't know, whatever it is. I don't know. The answer is four, by the way. <laughs> it's not four. I made that up. <laughs> or we say things like, you know, I, I, I hesitate. I'm not really an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist type. And so, yeah, we believe Jesus, but we doubt. We hesitate. We're reluctant. And, and guess what? When Jesus calls us to disciple-making here, the worshipers are listening, but you know who else is listening? Those who hesitate. Those who are a little reluctant. And I love the promise of Jesus, and we'll get there in a minute. That's our eighth uh, item of what, what he tells us about disciple making. But, but I want you to know that even those of you who hesitate, listen close. When you have those little doubts that creep in, when you're a little reticent, a little reluctant, Jesus doesn't do this. Pshh. He doesn't scoff. He doesn't write you off. He grabs you by your shoulders and he looks at you and says, I'm God. I know you doubt sometimes. I'm God. I know everything. Don't try to hide your hesitation from me. I know. I'm used to dealing with it. Happened 2,000 years ago, risen and exalted, and there were people around me that doubted. I get it. I get it. Go make disciples. Now, that's pretty cool. For those of us who hesitate, for those of us who are a little reluctant sometimes, maybe a little scared sometimes, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? I'm a little frightened. Jesus says, I know. But you can be part of this great building of a kingdom that will last forever, even in your doubt, even in your hesitation. Go make disciples. Number four. Sorry, number three. I got preaching there for a minute. I didn't even tell you what three was. (laughs) Disciple making is universal. Disciple making is universal. Let me me tell you what universal means. I looked it up in Webster's Dictionary. This is what universal means. It means applicable to all cases. Applicable to all cases. Even the doubters, even the hesitators, even those who are reluctant like me sometimes. Sometimes. Still applicable. Jesus still invites you to be a disciple maker. Number four, verse 18. Verse 18, let me find it here. Verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I looked that word up in the original language, all authority, all. I wanted to know what that meant. In, 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 in Greek, the language your Bible is written in. You know what that word all means? All. I mean, that's, that's rich there. That is rich. All means all. The whole power of heaven's love, wisdom, and strength has been given to Jesus. All power on earth has been given to him. Power over all persons, passions, principles, and movements. They've been given to Christ and Christ alone. And Christ now exercises all that power to accomplish this one high aim, the evangelization of the world. All authority has been given to me, go therefore. Number four, if you're taking notes, discipleship is Christ-exalting. christ Exalting. It is rooted firmly in the sovereignty and power of the Son of the living God. It's to give him more attention, more fame. Why? Because he deserves it. Even as we started this morning, glory, hallelujah, is do him. Disciple-making is Christ-exalting. This is great. I I love this. In verse 18, Jesus reminds us, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he commands us, go therefore. So when we resist and when we say, I don't want to make disciples, I don't want to evangelize, he goes, hey, remember, all authority has been given unto me. Like, this isn't the great suggestion. This isn't the great... Uh, if and when you get around to it, this is the Great Commission commanded by Jesus. That is an uh, that is a, a commandment. Go therefore now. Number five, disciple making is commanded. Disciple making is commanded. It's not just for those who are gifted at it. It's not just for those who like to evangelize. It's, it's not just for uh, individual pockets of people here and there. It's for all believers. And, 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 and here's the thing. Sometimes we create a false binary, again, to excuse ourselves from disciple-making. Let me tell you one of the things that, that I tend to say. This is just me. Maybe this isn't you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't fall into this trap, but here's what I tend to say. I'll say things like, Bayview Glen supports missions organizations. Bayview Glen supports missions organizations. You, you know what kind of underpins that statement? We're not a missions organization, but we support missions organizations. We've hired some really good folks to do disciple making. We're going to do church stuff. We've kind of farmed that out, we've kind of outsourced that. I would submit to you this morning that Bayview Glen does not support missions organizations, Bayview Glen is a missions organization. Now, we support missionaries all over the world and will continue to do so. We support them financially, spiritually, and emotionally. But Bayview Glen is a missions organization and we support other missions organizations. This is the commandment of every single believer to make disciples. It's not for those, you know, who are willing to go somewhere else, who want to go downtown to Toronto and serve at Toronto Alliance Church and whatever. It's for each and every one of us, everywhere we are, family, work, school, whatever. Number six, look what else Jesus says about disciple-making. Verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and then do what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that baptism, uh, we talk about this a lot, but it's, it was, it's an external symbol of an internal reality. It's, it's a representation on the outside of something that's already gone on on the inside. But for the early church, you know what else it was? It, it represented adoption into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. It, it represented, I have a place here. I'm now part of this body, part of this family. And Jesus wants his disciples to know that disciple-making isn't just about teaching them, although it is. Disciple-making isn't just about converting them, although it is. Disciple-making is about enfolding them. In other words, disciple-making is embracing Disciple-making is embracing. If you're taking notes, that jot that down. Disciple-making is embracing. This is why it's so important to us that our guest services around here create an embracing environment. This is why it's so important that each of us, as, as people who call Bayview Glen home, create an embracing environment and wrap our arms around our guests, around new people, around uh, new folks who have just claimed the name of Jesus and say, welcome, you have a place here. And they are baptized, dipped into, to the family of God I was talking about this with my wife last night she, she made this statement she kind of made it off the cuff and I was like oh my gosh wrote that down that'll preach that'll preach here's what she said she said if disciple making is embracing and it is there should never be a lonely person in the family of God that's not the church's job us pastors on staff it's not the elders job That's your job. It's my job. And it's not my job because I'm a pastor. It's my job because I'm a disciple of Jesus to ensure that there is no lonely person in the family of God because disciple-making is embracing. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded. Other translations of Scripture says, teach them to obey. Everybody say that with me, obey. And say it like that, it's really fun, obey. Obey. That was nice, that was nice. Some of you refused, we need to talk, okay, afterwards. (laughs) That whole obedience thing isn't all that popular these days, is it? I mean, we like to pick and choose, we like the fun promises, but, uh, you know, but we, but we like to just take parts of the scripture, but, but other parts we just ignore or leave out. Or when we're really angry, we excuse ourselves from doing all uh, that Jesus commanded. Or when we're really hurt, we excuse ourselves from doing all that Jesus commanded. Or when we're very, very tempted or very, very tired or, or we've, we're at our wits' end, we excuse ourselves from observing all that Jesus commanded. But if, if the role of a disciple and the role of a disciple-maker is to observe all that Jesus commanded, then disciple-making is transformative. Transformative. Jesus says, teach others to be learners, to be followers, to be Christ-exalters themselves so that their entire life is transformed into something new and different. I heard a preacher say this recently, and I love this quote. He said, if you want to argue and tell me that the Great Commission or evangelism is about saving souls, then I disagree with you. And I said, whoa, that's pretty bold. And he said, because most people, when they say the word soul, they mean a disembodied spirit. Discipleship is for the whole person. Transforming A transforming relationship with Christ transforms all of who you are. It's not just... I go to church on Sundays now, therefore I'm a disciple. Or, you know, I'm trying to stick it out in my marriage, therefore I'm a disciple. Jesus comes along and says, go therefore make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, to be transformed from the inside out, to be different, so different that people say, hey, you're different, Disciples are to look different than non-disciples. And disciple-makers are to teach others to observe all that Jesus commanded. Let's get through this and we'll conclude. Verse 20, number 8. The last thing about discipleship, love this, discipleship is spirit-led. Disciple-making is spirit-led. Love this about Jesus. Jesus never, ever, ever gives us a command pats us on the back, and says, good luck. Let me know how you do. And then stands back and watches flounder and fail. What does Jesus say in verse 20? He says, and behold, I am with you always. Somebody pointed out to me after the first service, I just thought it was, I thought it was so rich. I usually like, people come up and give me comments, and I say, thank you, and I don't share them. Um, But this one was so rich. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew goes through all the genealogy of Christ. and, And he quotes the Old Testament. And he says, And his name shall be called what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew concludes with what? Lo, I am with you always. God still with us. Empowering us Moving us, changing us, with us every moment of every day. So even when Jesus ascended into heaven, he says, This is a good thing that I'm going away. And his disciples are going, What? What? Oh, oh, because there's no way to send the Spirit unless I go. So I'm sending my comforter, my counselor, my helper, your friend that's there to empower you on this mission. And I love that people love this. They love this promise. Behold, I'm with you always. Jesus is always with me. What is the promise in the context of? Disciple making. Jesus sends his spirit to empower us to multiply, duplicate, like gremlins who get water poured on them or you feed them after midnight or whatever. I don't... Some of you didn't like that illustration. It's fine. It's fine you don't like that illustration, but that's the goal of believers, to make other believers. That's the goal of disciples, to make other disciples, to make other followers, learners, and pupils. And Jesus doesn't say, good luck, have at it. He says, and I'm giving you my spirit. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our motto for the coming year. Here it is. For those of you who were left hanging last week, and you're like, oh, man, why didn't he tell us? Here it is. You ready? This is what we're focusing on in every aspect of ministry this year, making disciples as we go. Making disciples as we go. We've got evangelism training in our training program, in our community groups, in our worship experience on Sunday morning. We are going to be talking about duplication, about multiplication, about making disciples as we go. You'll see me sign off my emails with making disciples as we go. You'll hear in our benediction each and every Sunday for the next year, go make disciples as you go. To be reminded that this call of Christ to duplicate, to multiply, to make other disciples is for each and every one of us. This multi-ethnic, inclusive, worship-fueled, universal commandment to exalt Christ, to embrace those who uh, come into our fold, to be transformed and empowered by the Spirit, to make disciples is for each and every one of us. And so this year our focus is making disciples as we go. The founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, his name is A.B. Simpson, said this, aggressive Christianity is the world's greatest need. You like that? I do. And his words stand true today just as they did over a hundred years ago. Aggressive Christianity is the world's greatest need. And by aggressive Christianity, I don't mean Christians who can win arguments. Hear me? I don't mean Christians who throw their Bible at other people. I don't mean Christians who say, wow, you should really stop smoking. What I mean is Christians who are aggressive about the love and grace of Jesus. This embracing gospel that transcends generations and ethnicities and backgrounds that we make disciples as we go. And as A.B. Simpson said, we get aggressive about it. We get assertive about it. We get excited about it. We get passionate about it. I want to give you five points of application, real easy things to apply this week as you make disciples as you go. And then we're going to conclude with communion. First, offer to pray for somebody. Offer to pray for somebody. You want to make disciples this week? Offer to pray for somebody. I love offering to pray for people. People are like, hey, my marriage is falling apart. My job situation is bad. I'm depressed. I'm despairing of life, whatever, whatever, whatever. Can I pray for you? I have literally never heard somebody say, when I say, can I pray for you? I've never heard this. I'd really rather you not. (laughs) Not once. On a very rare occasion, I hear somebody say, okay, okay. 99 times out of 100, it's, oh my gosh, please pray for me. I would love that. Let me tell you uh, the secrets of my life. And I get an opportunity to say, you know who can help with that? Jesus. He's awesome. Offer to pray for somebody this week. Number two, invite a friend next Sunday, September 21. We start our question series, Everything You Ever Want to Know About God But We're Afraid to ask. It will be great for those who don't know Jesus, great for new believers, and there will be a lot of stuff in there for those of us who are mature believers, who have walked with Jesus for a long time. We're going to go to his word together. Like I said, 75 people up on this stage, 55 people in a choir, and orchestra. It's a big fall ministry kickoff. We're really, 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 really excited. Bring somebody with you. And a lot of times I tell you in here, like, you know, do this, and then I'll do it too. This time I'm saying do this, and I already did it 48 hours ago. I got a buddy who doesn't know Jesus coming with me next Sunday. Please don't come up to him and go, are you his friend that doesn't know Jesus? Please don't do that. <laughs> because I like him to come back, all right? But I'm, I'm with you in this. I'm not just telling you, like, go do this. Like, I, I want to make disciples. I want my life to be about multiplication. Invite somebody with you next week. Number three, share your own Jesus story. Share your own Jesus story. Share the ways that Jesus has changed you, transformed you, been there for you. Here's what's great about sharing your own Jesus story, because if you talk about seven-day creation or theistic evolution or gap theory, if you talk about did Jesus exist or did he not exist, did he really rise from the dead or not, did he really make these claims, is the Bible authoritative, whatever, we can disagree about all that stuff. You know what people can't disagree with? Here's what my life was like, then I met Jesus, and this is how I'm changed. They can't go, well, I I don't think that's true. What do you mean? Like, this is where I was. This is when I met Jesus. And this is how I'm changed. It's all on Facebook. (laughs) A lot of the old stuff I've deleted, but the new stuff you see, yeah? They can't argue with that. Share your Jesus story with somebody. It's a step towards making disciples. Number four. And this this one might catch some of you off guard. It's not applicable to everybody, but I want you to know that this is absolutely a key to discipleship. Be a great parent. Be a great parent. Parenting is not about, you know, behavior modification. It's not about just making sure your kids don't do stupid stuff. Parenting is discipleship. Parenting is making little disciples, making followers, making pupils, making learners. People who love and follow and serve Jesus. Number five, show hospitality to a friend this week. Invite somebody into your home for pie and coffee. If you have pie and coffee, call me, I'll come. I could be that friend you share Jesus with. I don't know, I don't know. Invite somebody You know, Pay for somebody's Starbucks. Take a friend out to lunch at work. Knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, I made you muffins. Come with me next Sunday to church. Show hospitality. Invite those people into your home. This is what Jesus does for you and me, is it not? He's gone to prepare a place for us. He's invited us into his home. And as learners and as pupils and as disciples, we invite others into our home too. So we can make more disciples and multiply. Very few things I can think of that would be a great close to today's service other than communion. We celebrate the body that was given for us, the blood that was shed for us, the forgiveness that is ours in Christ because of the great lengths that God went to to pour his grace out onto you and me. Band, if you guys would come back up to lead us in one final song of worship. Ushers, if you would prepare, and if you would do that uh, swiftly and quietly, and for the rest of you, look up here because I want to read this scripture as we prepare our hearts. Luke 9, Jesus says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my learner, my pupil, my apprentice, my follower, must deny themselves, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Here's the interesting thing about being a follower of Christ. If the man that we follow, the God-man that we follow, walks up Calvary and dies on a cross, what do we do as well? We die on one as well. That's difficult news. But the invitation of Christ is die to yourself. Die to your old ways, to that selfishness, to that anger that's inside of you. Die to those old things. Be crucified and now resurrected to new life in me. And we say to Jesus, how can you even do that? And he goes, I'm going to prove it when they roll away that stone. And I come out of the grave, and I'm exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he rules and reigns even now. This is how the verse concludes. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. New life in Jesus because of his death and resurrection. That's what we celebrate in communion. Ushers, if you guys would come forward. And as these guys come forward, we're going to pray. And ask the Lord to bless this time as we sing and worship and respond. God, these elements, this bread and this cup, remind us of the body that was given for us, the blood that was shed for us. God, make us disciple makers, make us multipliers, make us duplicators, that we would share your good news without fear. God, that even those of us who hesitate sometimes would know that we're still part of this great high calling to build your eternal kingdom by making disciples. Teach us, O oh God, to make disciples as we go and remind us that we've been adopted into your family, that we're loved, cared for, forgiven, and clean. As the ushers distribute elements, I just invite you to hold them, to confess any known sin before the Lord, enjoy His forgiveness, and join even with the worship team as they sing about the wonderful cross that Jesus went to to pay the penalty for us. Ushers, if you would serve us, and band, if you would lead us.